Well, church, we have the opportunity in the next weeks, a couple of months, to take up an offering for World Missions called the Lottie Moon World Christmas Offering that goes to support 5,500-plus Southern Baptist missionaries all over the world. And we have with us today a man who we've known for years. His wife grew up in this church. This is Glenn Moore. Glenn is serving in South Asia. And tell us what you and Bethany and your children are doing in South Asia. We're um, working among the Bibleists across the Himalayan belt, um, the trade language being Nepali, but there's 25 to 30 languages that the gospel is just not moving under right now. Okay. And what is your specific responsibility? Church planning among the Bibleists. Yeah. Are you doing any translation work? Yes. Uh, through what we're doing, uh, we live in the Darjeeling district. We are hoping to partner with SIL so that as we plant churches, we encourage Bible translation all along the way. It's kind of something new the IMB is doing. And how many uh, millions of people are in your people groups that you're trying to minister to? The Bibleists, uh, 360 million. 360 million. Uh, in my specific region, I'm not sure the numbers. <laughs> 360 million, which is about 30 million more than the population of this country. Right. It's amazing. <laughs> and what percentage of those people are professing faith in Christ? You know, the, I don't know percentage, but the, the gospel has gone really far in Nepali, all along that region. But in the areas where people are oral speakers, are staunchly Buddhist, are from Tibetan backgrounds, the, the gospel is just moving slow, or it's not going much. So that's a barrier we're hitting. So trying to move what, past that. What is your greatest personal challenge in living in uh, the Darjeeling district of South Asia? My personal, <laughs> personal challenge. <laughs> oh, my, um, oh, brother, laid down to one. <laughs> uh, right now, it's it's being a good father. Uh, that's that's been a really hard thing, actually. We've got three boys, and uh, my my work makes me travel a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to keep that a priority. Well, we're we're really thankful for you guys. We're thankful for being in partnership with you, and uh, may the Lord bless you. And thanks for Thank thanks for being here, and uh, congratulations on having the good sense to marry Bethany. Thank you. you did good. <laughs> okay, God bless you. Church, this morning, um, on this Reformation Sunday celebration, every Sunday should be Reformation Sunday, but this morning particularly, uh, I'm going to do something a little different, and I, I trust that you will be okay. Just, just hang in there with me. Let me read this passage. This is Jeremiah chapter 6. In the book of Jeremiah, God's judgment is about to fall upon his people because they have departed from the way of worship, and they become idolatrous. And this is what it says in chapter 6, verse 16. This is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. I have appointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet. So so throughout the Old Testament, there's this imagery used that the Lord appoints watchmen or teachers or pastors to sound the trumpet, to say, listen, to say, be aware, to say, hear the word of the Lord. 
And this morning, I just want to sound the trumpet. And I want to say, look at the ancient ways. Look at God's way. Look at who God is. Walk in it. Um, and so I'm going to address a, a few issues this morning. Um, uh, I'll just jump in. Al Moeller, who's the president of Southern Seminary, who's a friend and I respect him very much, wrote an article two months ago and he says this, the, the 2012 election is a worldview exercise of unprecedented contrast. Unprecedented contrast. An unavoidable test of our most basic convictions as believers. That's a strong statement. It is a worldview clash of unprecedented contrast. I remember as a very young child, 13, 14, in 1968, there was a man who ran as a third-party candidate, George C. Wallace from Alabama. And George Wallace, as part of his campaign, said this, there's not a dime's worth of difference between the Democrats and the Republicans. I can hear him say it today. There's not a dime's worth of difference between the Democrats and the Republicans. And by and large, church, if you look at their platforms, he was right. I wish that were true today. It gives me great sadness to know that we have a major political party that a few years ago said, their standard bearer said, abortion should be uh, safe, legal, and rare. And yet in their last convention in Charlotte, it was a celebration of abortion whenever, wherever, however. They've become the party of death. It gives me a great sadness to say and to understand that this same major political party with a storied history advocates in their platform that homosexual marriage is equal to heterosexual marriage. That this party, who's had a president in 1996, stood up and waved a bill and had great bipartisan support called the Defense of Marriage Act that says that marriage is between one man and one woman, period. And now the standard bearer of that same party has said he's evolved in his thinking to think that homosexual marriage is, is just fine. It breaks the heart of God. It breaks the heart of God. And, and it's, it, it's sad. So that's point number one. Point number two is this. We believe, biblically speaking, in something called common grace theology, which says this. All men and women are made in the image of God. And Romans 2.14, all men and women have the truth of God printed on their hearts. People know what is right and what is wrong. That's what the Enlightenment taught. That's what the Declaration of Independence says, which is an Enlightenment document by and large. Therefore, we suppress the truth and we push it down and we harden our conscience. But we believe in common grace theology, that there are noble men and women who are not believers. There, there are noble men and women who say, there is a God probably, but I cannot define that God. And, and so because of that, there's a statement here from the Baptist Faith and Message, our document that says, in the spirit of Christ, Christians should oppose racism and every form of greed, selfishness, and vice, and all forms of sexual immorality, including adultery, homosexuality, and pornography. We should work to provide for the orphan, the needy, the abused, the aged, the helpless, the sick. We should speak on behalf of the unborn and contend for the sanctity of all human life from conception to natural death. 
Every Christian should seek to bring industry, government, and society as a whole under the sway of the principles of righteousness, truth, and brotherly love. In, in order to promote these ends, Christians should be ready to work with all men of goodwill in any good cause, always being careful to act in the spirit of love without compromising their loyalty to Christ and his truth. That's a key sentence. We can work with all men of goodwill to advance these principles. So I'm, I'm always a little bit concerned and frustrated when people rewrite history from the right or the left. And there are some people who want us to think that all the founding fathers were evangelicals who sang Trinitarian hymns and worshipped in Bible-believing churches. That's not true. I talked to a professor of history this week to make sure that my research was right. And just the first hundred years, there were very few of our presidents in the first hundred years who were evangelical Trinitarian believers. George Washington was, by the way. Study the life of Washington. There's a recent book. It's 800 pages. It's a big book. It's a doorstopper. You know, written by the president of Westminster Seminary called Sacred Fire. And he just quotes the journals of George Washington. So you read the first 200 pages, you kind of got it done. But Washington very clearly trusted in the work of Christ for salvation. He was what I call a high church Anglican. No. But anyway. Um, then you go through the rest of the guys. Maybe John Quincy Adams. I'm not sure. Maybe James Madison, who was mentored by John Witherspoon a godly Presbyterian pastor who's the only preacher to sign the Declaration of Independence and much more important for our understanding is the great-great-grandfather of Reese Witherspoon. Um, you go home and say, hey, man, isn't that cool, Reese Witherspoon? That's not the point of the sermon. Okay. Uh, Andrew Jackson from South Carolina definitely was an evangelical who trusted Christ, read, his Bible, read three chapters every day, worshipped every Sunday, and he would shoot you, but he loved Christ. But, but, but very few, very, very few, very few. And I, so that's why this statement is, is very important for our understanding that we can work with many women of goodwill without compromising our loyalty to Christ. Um, Martin Luther said, supposedly, I'd rather be ruled by a competent Turk than an incompetent Christian. Close quote. That's Martin Luther. So it brings me to the third issue. There's great confusion today regarding truth and the nature of truth and and the place that truth should hold in our thinking and and in our our belief system. Um, The Shorter Catechism says this. What is the chief end of man? Answer, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And the second question, what, what rule has God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him? Answer, the Word of God, which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify God and enjoy Him. And I, you just step back and you say, we are to glorify God. Thomas Watson, a Puritan, said glorification of God involves four things. Number one, appreciation. Two, adoration. Three, affection. And four, subjection to his word. Well, I like that. 
It involves appreciation, adoration, affection, and subjection. In other words, we, we, we as we deal with Scripture and we, the God who is, there's a glorious weightiness about the character of God. And, and our, our, our cry should be, be exalted, O God. Be glorified, O God. Oh, God, let me live in such a way that, that your honor is rich and deep in my life. There, there's confusion today. The confusion ends when you immerse yourself in the reality of God in his spoken word. There's a missionary named Henry Martin. I have his picture here. Henry Martin was an Anglican missionary in modern-day Iran. Died at the age of, uh, what is that, 19, 12, 31, 32, 31. Contracted a pneumonia, malaria attack thing, and died. And Henry Martin went there. He never married. He, he read voraciously the life of David Brainerd and was inspired by Brainerd's journals. And so he goes to goes to this land, and he, he's, he's brilliant. He comes from a well-heeled family, and he makes friends. And one of his friends one day came to him, and out of loyalty and friendship, he had painted a, 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 a picture of great religious leaders bowing down to Muhammad, who's the, you know, the prophet of Islam, who lived in the, you know, the seventh century. And Jesus was foremost among those bowing down to Muhammad. And this is what Martin says. And Henry Martin's a very mild, gracious man. And he says, basically, I was thunderstruck. He says, he says, uh, Mizra Said Ali perceived that I was considerably dis- disordered and asked what it was that was so offensive to me. He said, I was cut to the soul by this blasphemy. I told him I could not endure existence if Jesus Christ was not glorified. It would be hell to me if he were to be in any way thus dishonored. Mizra was astonished, and again he asked, why? And I said to him, if anyone plucked out your eyes, I replied, there is no saying why you feel pain. It is a feeling. It is because I am one with Christ that I am dreadfully wounded. And I thought, here's this mild-mannered man saying, I was disordered. I was offended. I was wounded because Jesus is not glorified. Because this man, in his understanding, says Jesus is a great teacher, but he is nothing compared to the earthly teacher Muhammad. And, and Henry Martin says, no, he is very God of very gods. He is eternally God. He is my Savior. And so I, I, I say that and I say, God, God may, 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 may I have that passion for the rich reality and the worship of the living Christ whose name is Jesus. Or I think of that about this group, the Moravians. The Moravians came out of Germany, kind of led by a man named Count Zinzendorf. And they were a, a missionary movement that washed over the world. Small group, kind of called Heerhut in Germany. And they, they went to places, and as they went, they said, we will never go back to our land. We will never go back to our land. We only have a few years before our, our bodies are ravaged by disease and we die. But we're going out because people... Without Christ, face an eternity of judgment. There's only one way to be saved, through the work of Christ. And they had this little symbol, they adopted this, and that's the Lamb of God, Jesus, that should be a cross. And it says, our Lamb has conquered, let us follow Him. 
the Moravians. God gets the glory. I'm reading these books on revival, and I'll pick it up next week. But, but, but there's a movement in Wales under a great preacher named Howell Harris. A great preacher. A preacher who preached Christ. Hal Harris died in 1773, but, but in writing about the sweeping movement in Wales in the 1760s, they, they said really that the centerpiece of revival was the worship and the preaching of Christ and primarily the taking of the Lord's Supper among these Calvinistic Methodist Welshmen. The centerpiece was remembering Jesus. And if there's to be a great movement of God, Christ is always supreme. And, and so, that's essential. Today we celebrate Reformation Sunday, five solas. Reformation 1517, Martin Luther. The Reformation century is 1560 to 1660. Five solas. The scripture alone. We're saved by faith alone. Nothing we, we bring. Nothing we bring. If you think you had anything to your faith other than looking to Jesus, it's like putting botulism in a piece of coconut cake. Ruins it. It ruins it. Faith alone. By grace alone. God working in us. By Christ's work alone. To the glory of God alone. God be exalted. That, that, that's who we are. That's, that's what we hold to. If, if you were to say to me... I told you, I give me an elevator statement of what East Cooper Baptist Church is. I say, well, I have 25 seconds, 30 seconds. Number one, we're children of the Reformation. We believe the Reformation was a recovery of the gospel of grace. And we rejoice in that. Number two, we believe in missions locally. And telling our neighbors and friends and co-workers and, and family about Jesus. And extending the work of Christ in our community. We believe in missions globally. We believe the only way that the Burmese are going to be saved or the people of the hills of, of, of the Nepalese or the Darjeeling district we just heard about are going to be saved is through the work of Jesus. We believe in the importance of community and fellowship and relationship and we're transgenerational. That's who we are. That's who, but it all flows from point number one, the solace of the Reformation. This is who we are. And so there's, there's confusion today. Um, I'm, the confusion in, involves and comes around this. Um, the Pew Foundation for, Forum did a survey last summer, or last year, 2011. And they asked this question, are Mormons Christians? Among evangelicals, 39% said yes. 39%. That's almost 4 in 10 if you're not real good at math. That's a lot of people. Three weeks ago, our own local newspaper had a front-page cover story on Mormonism. Of course, this flows from the, the nomination of Mitt Romney. Uh, and, and really, it was an apology for Mormonism. It talked about family and patriotism and law-abiding and so forth and so on. And really didn't deal with what Mormons believe. It was kind of an apology. It's kind of, isn't this a great, great thing? But what brought this to the forefront for me and one reason I felt I had to address it was two weeks ago, uh, the Billy Graham Evangelist Association. I have a great regard for Billy Graham. He'll be 94 on November the 7th. Uh, 
I think undoubtedly in my life, in our lifetime, the most well-known and, and revered evangelical. For some reason, they removed Mormonism from their list of cults. And they gave us statements that go something like this. To use the word cult is a pejorative term, and we don't want to be pejorative in an election year. Well, by doing that, they brought it to the forefront. And I realize you can use cult as a pejorative term, but historically cult means someone who deviates from the orthodox understanding of what we believe. It, it's, so, so, yeah, we can use it very pejorative. So we'll just say this. Let me say it very clearly. Mormonism is another religion. So I won't call it cult. It's just another religion. It's, it's a great concern to me. Um, the, the Graham Association, just before they did this, had, had this... And by the way, I sent emails and asking for clarification, received none back. Because I don't want to be critical. But I, you got to give it a clear. We, the, the gospel is involved in this. This isn't an interdenominational squabble about do women wear head coverings or do men have facial hair. This is the heart of the gospel. Don't give that backwards either. Men don't wear head coverings, men don't have facial hair. That, that, that would be bad. But, but, but just listen. This is the Graham Association says, although cults differ, they share several characteristics. For example, cults often do not accept the Bible alone. See, that's a Reformation word. As God's word, it may even say that other books, usually written by the founder, are also God's word and of more value. Cults are commonly, commonly claimed they alone correctly interpret the truth and that Christian domination and churches are wrong in their teaching, close quote. And you'll see that in a few minutes. Um, but but that, that has brought it to the forefront in my own thinking and imagination. I'm just going to walk through some of the high points here. One of the dangerous church, one of the dangers of Mormonism, or the Church of Latter-day Saints, is they use the same words we use, but it has a very different meaning. Understand that? They use our words, but they have a different dictionary. There is a movie I like called The Princess Bride. Okay? Some of you, it's really a good movie. In The, in the Princess Bride, there is a, a man named Vinzini, bald-headed guy. And they are pursued, these guys are pursued by the dread pirate Roberts. Okay. And so the dread, so yeah, yeah, I think you've seen it. And so the dread pirate, uh, Roberts is climbing the cliff and on, on a huge rope. And Vinzini cuts the rope and the rope falls, but he keeps on climbing with no rope. And, and Vinzini says, he didn't fall. Inconceivable. Yeah. And then his cohort, who's really a good guy named Indigo Montoya, says, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Yeah. And sometimes when I talk to people who, I mean, Jehovah Witnesses, um, Christian scientists, Mormons, they use our words. But I don't say, you keep using that word, but I do not think it means what you think it means. I'm trying to be a little light here, but please understand that. Uh, another danger is, is, is this, and this is very much part of our culture. People say sincerity is more important than accuracy. Well, I want to be sincere 
But I've got to be a sincerity based upon truth. See, I tell people frequently that if we're 200 feet above ground and you've got a, a, a piece of wood there and it is 80 years old and it is rotten and, and if, you, if you dropped a thumbtack on it, it would disintegrate. And you say, well, I have great faith that that board will hold me. I believe with all my heart that board will hold me. I'll say, you go first. It's not the sincerity of your, and then you bring a, 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 you know, a huge board that's that thick and it's maple and you put it out and, and even people with vertigo could make it across because it's strong. They have, their faith is, they have questions. I said, but that will save them. It's not the sincerity, it's the board. See, it's not the passion of my heart, it's the reality of the object of my faith. And that's why in the Reformation, Luther said, you're saved because of something that happened outside of you. Our feelings come and go. It's called the law of undulation. But our, our faith is in the work of Jesus. My hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So, so, so I, I think of this being sincere. And let me just quote a couple of people here. This is a statement made at the convention, the Republican convention, by Paul Ryan, who I think is a wonderful man. But he said this. He said, Mitt and I go to different churches, but in any church, the best kind of preaching is done by example, close quote. Now, yeah. I mean, faith without works is dead. Yes. But it's truth. It's truth. The best kind of preaching is done by what you believe that elicits in a life of good works. And then there's this article, this statement made by, this is in World Magazine, made by a man who's in a conservative Presbyterian church, Bible-believing church. Well, it's a PCA, a PCA church. We love the PCA. He's in, in charge. He's part of this evangelicals, you know. And he says this, I, 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 evangelicals from Mitt Romney. He says, quote, I rarely hear anyone seriously ask our Methodist Christians. He continued, perhaps that's not so much because the theological differences aren't real and profound, but because we've made our historic peace through shared understanding of our faith in Christ. Perhaps it's time that we make the same peace with Mormons, close quote. You know, I hope his elders met with him and severely disciplined him. He's comparing Methodists who are Trinitarian and Orthodox and, and who historically have affirmed salvation through the eternal God whose name is Jesus on the cross with a group of people who says Jesus is a created being and a brother of Satan. Hello? Be good thinkers. Be good thinkers. So we're all about sincerity. So let me just walk through these very quickly in five minutes which is not going to happen. Just, I'm going to hear a few differences. Now let me say again, we can work with men of goodwill to advance principles of righteousness and peace. I, I, I'm just raising the flag and saying, be a good thinker and, and use this issue to really tell people about Jesus. Okay. The church, very, very quickly. The, 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 we believe the church is all the redeemed of all the ages who claim the name of Jesus. Lutherans, Baptists, Methodists, Zwinglians, Moravians, Hutterites, uh, Hussites, Catholics who look to Jesus. There's no 
one true church. There's a, a universal church, the, 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 what we call the universal invisible church of God, made up of all the redeemed of all the ages. Conversely, the Mormons believe that, that the church bef- before 1820, when Joseph Smith, who was from Vermont, received a, visions from the angel Moroni and received these go tablets with Egyptian, Egyptian hieroglyphics on them, then he translated and they took the, the tablets back into heaven. He was told that the, the God supposedly told him in the person of God in Jesus Christ, said, everything that happened before this date was an, ab- an abomination to me. So the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Heidelberg Catechism, Belgian Confession of Faith, London Confession of Faith, all these dear men and women, Martin Luther, Augustine, Anselm, they're an abomination. I've got some problems with that. Major league problems. And, 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 and so that's just one thing. Secondly, Scripture. We believe that the Bible is the sole authority of faith and practice for believers, thoroughly equipping God's people for every, the Bible alone. The Mormon church believes in the King James Version with this many corrections made by Joseph Smith, who had no training in languages, by the way. He made over 600 changes to the King James Version. So they say the King James Version, once it's corrected, Pearl of Great Price, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, four books. In addition to that, have ongoing revelation. See, you, you, go, you go to a church. What do you see? What do you see on top of the church? A cross. Okay, so what's that? A cross, you see. You go to a Mormon church, you have the angel Moroni on top, which means there's ongoing revelation, which means that when, when, when the Mormons will become a state in the U.S. in the 1840s and 50s, the U.S. Congress said, you can't become a state until you renounce poly- a polygamy. And they said, well, okay, let's have a revelation. Polygamy's out. We don't do polygamy anymore. It's, it's custom-made religion. Or 1978. Now, if you're an African-American, you were considered to have the mark of Cain upon you. You couldn't be really in the Mormon church or a high priest. You couldn't go through the, the rites of the temple. But in 1978, they had a revelation. It's okay. We were, we're, now African-Americans can come in. You read the scandalous things they said. Now, was there racism in, in the evangelical church? Yes. But it was sin. It was despicable. It was from the pit of hell. It should be repented of. The Bible says all men are worthy of respect in Christian love, and all men are made in the image of God. Period. So, so that the concept of God. God is a man who became God and now rules the celestial kingdom, and you can too. There was a man, a leader of the church, the church chief prophet in 1840, who said this, as, as man is now, God once was, as God is now, man may become. That's heresy. It's blasphemous. Last area, very quick, the doctrine of salvation. We believe, listen, we believe we're saved only through the work of Christ on the cross. Only. The eternal God who bore my sin in his body. Eternal God. Alone. They believe that Christ is an exalted person who somehow died on the cross for their sins, but really the way you're saved and made right and you enter the high level of, of heaven is through being a faithful, obedient, 
uh, person to the revelation that God has, has given them. It's, it's just, it empties the cross of his glory. There is no cross. I, I remember a long time ago, guys, summer of 1979 as a seminary project, I went out and tried to help start a church in northwest New Mexico. I went door to door inviting people to Bible study groups and we tried to start a church and we, and we did, I had to meet 30, 30 different units a day, five days a week. That's a lot of door knocking. I came across a colony of Mennonites who were really cool people. I met thousands of Mormons, talked to them, studied what they taught. I met a lot of Roman Catholics of Hispanic origin. It was an eye-opening summer. And I kept, so I, as, I, as I put together what, what these very kind Mormon people told me, they said, no, you know, you're, you're wrong. Man isn't a sinner. Um, man, man, through self-effort, can become a god. Jesus wasn't God in the flesh. He was just one of the many spirit children of God. And, and somehow his death on the cross is, is kind of sort of showed us how to live. So I said, let me get this right. You, you say that man isn't a sinner, but man is somebody that can become a God and rule a celestial kingdom. As, as, as God, is, as, as man is now, God once was, as God is now, I can become. Yeah. Through, through self-effort, I can obtain a great, yeah. I thought, man. The gospel really is humbling. So they say you're not a sinner. You're really potentially a God. You're not saved by the work of someone else because you can't save yourself. You're saved through self-effort. Okay. Then I get up and I say, listen, you deserve judgment. Apart from the radical intervention of the cross in your life through the work of Christ, you go to hell. It's only through the work of Jesus. Wow. But that's the gospel. That's what we believe. <laughs> May the name of God be exalted, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and, and may we listen and love our neighbors and friends who don't believe what we believe. And, and may we laugh with them and embrace them and talk about Christ. And talk about the glory of sins forgiven only through the work of the cross. And may the Holy Spirit be unleashed in our community and our world to bring people into faith. Deep faith in the work of Jesus alone. And may we as God's people give a clear sound about what we believe in an age that doesn't believe that truth is fixed and eternal and binding. Binding. 